0: we come one more time uh, uh, to the Sermon on the Mount God has been kind so far we've had 39 Sermons from these chapters three chapters and uh, four or five Sunday school classes on the Lord's Prayer again from this section of Holy Read. today we come to it one last time in My preaching through this series, as I conclude, we will hear a sermon from verse 28 and 29 of chapter 7, but allow me to read from verse 13 to 29. This is God's holy word. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous souls. You will recognize them by their fruits, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell, And the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sun. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. As for the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, all our glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but God's word,
1: abides for him. Let's ask him for help once more. O oh Lord, we thank you because in spite of your
0: grandeur and incomprehensible complexity,
1: you have given us your will, your word, in a language we can understand. It is such a privilege, O God,
0: and we thank you. And today, on Reformation Day, as we hold copies
1: of Scripture on our hands, on our laps, we thank you
0: concerning the many who shed their blood, the many who paid high costs, for us to have these copies of scripture. We thank you, O Lord, indeed you're building your church. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so, Lord, now as we come to your word, we please pray, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in your word. Create in us that heart that would be able to say, Oh, how we love your Lord. It is our meditation
1: all day long. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: So 39 sermons down the line, plus four Sunday school classes, as we've gone through these three chapters, I have a question for you who has been there all that time. How have you so far responded to the Sermon on the Mount? And even if you've not been here for those many sermons, many of you are not in the Sermon on the Mount for the first time. The question would be relevant to you too. How have you so far responded to the Sermon on the Mount? Today I would like to show you from this text. That conviction can sadly fail to be accompanied with conversion. And I hope to make a plea, a plea to each one of us who is amazed by the Lord Jesus Christ, who finds reason to keep coming back to hear his word preached, not to be one who is amazed at him astonished by him or struck by him while failing to be his disciple. Never in the history of the human race had there been a preacher, has there been a preacher like Jesus Christ or a sermon like the sermon he preached. Jesus, the promised Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, preached this sermon recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And yet, while this sermon was indeed amazing, and that was the response of the first hearers there in verse 28 and 29 of Matthew 7, it seems few people walked it then or walked it in our time. And that's a dangerous place to be. To hear what Christ has said and not to obey him is an extremely dangerous thing. This sermon, the sermon on the mount, in simple language and yet profound in meaning, We cannot plumb its depth, for it is too deep. We cannot scale its height, for it is too tall. We cannot measure its breadth, it is too wide. Can we calculate its influence? We cannot do that. We cannot exhaust the lessons in this summer. Can we diminish its relevance? We cannot diminish its relevance. In fact, we cannot exaggerate its importance. This sermon, the word of God here, brings heavenly knowledge to earthly people, a people who would not be able to ascend up and learn these things. Knowledge, knowledge that with us our paid, brings us to that place where we indeed recognize that blessed and blessed are they and they alone. Who are poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. It is impossible to come to this sum without seeing the Saviour behind it. We need a salvation, a salvation found, found only in the Person and the Work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we went through this sermon from chapter 5 onwards, we saw a pattern of life that marks out a heart changed, a heart transformed by the grace described in those eight Beatitudes. There we saw who a Christian is, not how to become a Christian, but how a Christian looks like. A Christian is poor in spirit. A Christian mourns. A Christian is meek. A Christian hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He is merciful. She is pure in heart. Christians are peacemakers. Christians, all Christians we saw are persecuted righteousness sake. We authoritatively saw what the purpose of the Christian is as the Lord told us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. God told us how to plainly glorify him, not to put the lamp under a bushel to let our deeds so shine before men that as they behold those deeds, they would glorify God. And did he not help us there in in chapter 5 to clearly understand and apply the law of God with wisdom? In chapter 6, he gave us wisdom, on how to avoid pride. He taught us with simplicity how to pray as, as he gave us the disciples' prayer there in chapter 6, verse 9, what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And in this sermon, we also saw in solemn language as Jesus Christ identifies those who will go to heaven and those who will go to hell. This is an all-inspiring message, a most all-inspiring message that any human ear can hear, that any human mind can consider, that any human life can obey this sermon dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen is foundation if we are going to obey the rest of the lord's teaching this sermon on the mount is crucial now as we come to verse 28 those words and when jesus finished these sayings the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes, it is very easy to overlook those verses. The sermon, after all, is over. The preaching is done. Why should we linger on to hear Matthew's commentary on what happened to the people who listened to the sermon? In fact, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you will realize that there are around five similar statements that would accompany the end of each of the five major teachings that are recorded there, the five major sermons that are recorded for us, teachings that are recorded for us. In chapter 11, verse 1, we are told, when Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. In chapter 13, verse 53, we would be told, And when Jesus had finished these parables, He went away from there. In chapter 19, again, verse 1, we would be told, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. In chapter 26, verse 1, we would be told, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Friends, it's easy in that light then to look at Matthew seven twenty-eight and say, because this is similar to the other transition statements, I can just quickly fly over it. These verses are, however, extremely
1: significant. Have you ever thought of how astounding these
0: statements were? These statements in these three chapters that were coming from the lips of a Jewish man from Galilee. During the time we've gone through these sermons.
1: Has it shocked you? Because in my first point, you would realize
0: that the first listeners were amazed. And we need to ask ourselves, have we been amazed by who Jesus is and by what he has said? The Lord Jesus spoke with authority. And authority we need to make this known, is not just a matter of the volume of the preacher or the personality of the preacher, because we live at a time when authority is confused for reading one verse and then beginning to climb on top of the pulpit. That's not what authority is. Authority, dear brothers and sisters, here is the power of the Spirit that accompanied the message it is an authority that today remains even in the preaching of god's word it will draw people and at the same time it will repel people authority that accompanies the preaching of God's word as you listen to a preacher and at some point you transition and realize I'm no longer being spoken to the words of man. This is God speaking to me through a mere mortal. Is a thing that will either intrigue you or incense you. Maybe there is a time in your life when you have been astonished because these people were
1: astonished they were not just a little surprised no Um, interested in what
0: excited no astonishment is a word that we would use to describe not many occasions in our lives When you perhaps see a terrorist attack on TV, that's the kind of thing that astonishes. Perhaps those of you who are a little older, remembering 9-11 and seeing planes crash into a building and you're thinking, okay, this is not Kenya, this is America, where they are supposed to have detected this before it ever happened. And to see super skyscraper crumbling down, that's an astonishing thing. That kind of thing would fit within astonishment because it it shocks you, it scares you, it brings you to a place where you are awestruck. The people at the end of the sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ were gripped, were overwhelmed by what they were hearing. And it's not because Jesus was playing on their emotions. His listeners were not shocked because he had whipped up their emotions. The listeners were amazed by who was teaching and by what he was teaching. The manner and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ in his teaching astonished them. Let me jog your mind as we go back to the sermon so that perhaps we see if we have been astonished as we listen to this sermon. Do you remember the Lord saying the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees must be challenged if your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven that he said in chapter 5 and verse 20. That is a shocking thing. Put on the shoes of the first hearers and it's as if the Lord is referencing the best theologians of our times the ones whom we would feel we are not worthy to untie their shoes because they spend their day, their whole day, their weeks, in the Scriptures. And the Lord tells you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of these so-called mighty theologians, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That is astonishing. And then he talks about the most unlikely candidates being declared blessed. In chapter 5, verse 3, verse 2, sorry, verse 3, whoever talked about people who are blessed when yet at the same time they are poor? That's a contradiction. But yet the Lord references the most unlikely candidates and declares them blessed, people who are poor in spirit, people who are beggarly, totally dependent. As they say, help me, they cannot even lift up their heads and their eyes to look at the person whom they are asking for help. Those are blessed. Imagine hearing blessed by the poor in spirit. That was shocking. And that should remain shocking even today. That God says in the eighth beatitude, there in chapter 5, verse 11, verse 10, sorry, that you are blessed when you are
1: persecuted. How? That we are blessed when we are persecuted? Think about.
0: Our brothers and sisters in North Korea who are forced to put their hands on the tarmac and a compressor, a roller, is driven over their hands to crush their fingers
1: as persecution and yet they would rather die than recant that they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of ministries
0: we have to our brethren in Somalia, you know the stories.
1: You know what they've gone through. You know what they are going through. It is shocking to hear that you are blessed when you are being persecuted. This sermon is rather backward, we should have thought. Because it goes against the grain. The grain of the flesh.
0: Love your enemies? Oh, That should shock us. Think about the people who have hurt you the most. And then hear the call from the Lord as he preaches this sermon. The call to you to love. To love them. To love them like Jesus while the reality is you legitimately
1: feel hate towards them because of what they have done to you. Think about the interpretation of the law
0: as a matter of the heart, not just mere externals. Anger in the heart would be murder. Lust in the heart is rotten adultery. Righteous deeds done in pursuit of the accolade of fellow man would not result in any blessing for you in heaven. This is jaw Dropping, truth. Think about in chapter 6, verse 25 onwards. He commands you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness before you seek your food. That is
1: shocking. That is shocking. It was shocking. It should be shocking today. And yet he makes
0: an indisputable defense for this command. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. On the day of judgment, he tells us another shocking thing. He will be the one who will separate the sheep from the goat, as we will rate is later on taught in Matthew 25. Of all the things that could have been recorded about Jesus, think about the many things that could have been said in this section of Matthew 7 and verse 28. Of all the things that could have been said, Concerning the response of the crowd, astonishment is what we are told. We are not told, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was really smart. That's not what we are told. We are not told they were astonished because he was a master storyteller or because he was humorous or because he was empathetic, or because he was gifted in oration, or because
1: he was a scholar. We are told they were astonished because
0: Jesus spoke with authority. And throughout the book of Matthew, there is a growing sense of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are required to have seen at the end of this sermon, At the end of the sermon on the mount, we should have had a growing sense of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see later on at the end of the book of Matthew in chapter 28, he says, all authority has been given to me. this growing sense of authority in Matthew begins here. And the comparison is, his authority was not like that of the scribes, the secretaries, the transcribers, the official compilers of the day, who were like a combination of attorneys and academics. They they were like law professors, who would argue a case before a court, the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes rather described here, would be people who would gather case law. They would would look at what others have said and the authority upon which those people who have said this and this said it, and then they would be able to bring it forth to the people and say, this is what so and so said. The scribes took the law seriously. They studied it.
1: They took religion seriously. And in one sense, they were like people who would gather
0: legal knowledge. They debated amongst themselves concerning some of the most obscure passages of, the, of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of Scripture and wanted to rely on the comments of the rabbis as they put forth what
1: should be upheld. But Jesus is entirely different. With the Sermon on the
0: Mount our attention is drawn not just to what
1: the preacher said and the preacher himself, but to the authority that accompanied it.
0: And this is one of the major differences between the Lord Jesus Christ
1: and your pastor. With your pastor, you want want him to have authority. Derived
0: authority, isn't it? You want that. You want me to have derived authority that draws attention, not to myself, but to the Bible and to the God of the Bible. Yes, the preacher needs to preach with enthusiasm. And as we read Scripture, we need to read in a way that helps you to follow, in a way that aids attention. But your focus, as, you, as we are reading Scripture, as I'm preaching, your focus, your attention should ultimately not be on the pastor, but on the Word of God and on the God of the Word. The motor of every preacher is like John, I must decrease and the Lord must increase. And for those of us who preach, we need to constantly remind ourselves that no man will be successful at both impressing the listeners and coming across as if he is clever and at the same time showing that Christ is mighty to save.
1: therefore, we do not preach ourselves, we do not point to ourselves. But Jesus is different. For three chapters, He is quite unrelenting
0: in pointing to Himself, in ensuring you see Him. And that must have been shocking to the hearers in chapter 5, verse 11. He says you are blessed if you are persecuted on my account. Did you see that? Imagine a preacher from Galilee standing and saying, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and that all kinds of evil against you falls me on my account. On my account? What would you think if I, if I told you Hey, brothers and sisters, blessed are you if you are falsely persecuted on my account. You tell me, take a walk. Take a walk. Go breathe some fresh air. You need some some fresh air. Looks like uh, you've been a little stressed recently. Who talks this way? Look at chapter 5, verse 17. He talks about Do not think I have come to
1: abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them.
0: Fulfill. That's a serious thing to say. Abolish. That's a serious thing to say. I have come. Not I have been born. Not I have started my ministry. Come from where? He's not saying I've entered the ministry. So what do you mean, Lord? We all have a dad and a mom. Surely, you have been born. I have been born. What are you saying, I have come? Should you not more accurately say, I have been born? And then fulfill. Using the language of fulfillment, the Lord is saying, I am the climax, the point, the completion. Of all that the prophets and the law says, that should cause us to wake up and ask ourselves, who is he? You hopefully should wonder why you need to make a statement about yourself in relation to the scripture. Surely, do we not all stand on scripture? Can anyone abolish the scripture? Why do you even think? that we would think you've come to abolish the Scripture.
1: We are so used to these words that we are not outstruck by them. Because if this is not
0: true, it would be extremely scandalous of anyone to say such things.
1: If your pastor stood here again and told you, open your Bible." to such
0: and such a chapter, and then you say, actually, don't look at your Bible, look at me. I am the fulfillment of, of what is there. You would not have very pleasant words for me. You'd tell me, okay, Eric, we know maybe some people from your part of the country are at times so full of themselves that you're taking this to a new level. The very first recorded words of our Lord in Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, talk about fulfillment. And when he read the scroll from the book of Isaiah, he said, this day
1: these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. The authority of Jesus. In chapter 7, verse 21, He talks about himself, not everyone who says
0: to me, Lord, Lord. He's saying, I am the judge. I am the judge who will judge you on the day of judgment. And on that day,
1: I will make a decision on who enters heaven and who doesn't. Jesus states this thing's clear. He says very clearly he's the central figure
0: of the judgment day. Everyone who hears these words of mine, he says in chapter 7, verse 24, and does them is wise. So being a wise person or being a damnable
1: fool swings. He says what you do with what he has said. That should shock us. Has he he not recently just told us
0: not to be hypocrites who seek to draw attention to ourselves as we pray,
1: as we give, as we fast? But Jesus puts himself forward, not simply as a commentator on the law, but
0: as the legislator of the law. He is not just a pointer assigned to the law, he is the point of the law. The scribes spoke from authorities, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preached with authority. There are many of us who want the Sermon on the Mount because they think it gives ethical instruction that is unalloyed with doctrines. We like the ethical teaching that does not come accompanied with doctrines. And so politicians will quote it. Your head of business development, your sales manager will quote Will quote it. He'll tell you ask and you'll receive, seek and you shall find, therefore go out and cold call people. Because if you ask, you will receive. They, they quote it out of context without fear, because they, and the golden rule, do unto others.
1: But are we sure? Do we know the person behind the sermon on the mount? Everything in the sermon demands that we
0: ask and answer the question. Who is this man? Who is this man who is preaching to us? Have you been amazed by who Jesus is? Because this sermon confronts us with a demand to realize that Jesus Christ is not just a good man.
1: He is God. He gave you life. You owe your life to him. He gave you the laws, you owe him your obedience. And he will judge you, therefore you owe him accountability. She is not simple. This is not just easy ethics. This is the God-man confronting us. So the crowd was astonished. They were amazed. They were at the end of this sermon on Facebook and Twitter and doing blogs about amazement from what the Lord had said. Secondly, and this took a bulk of our time
0: intentionally, secondly, please realize that amazement with Jesus is not necessarily the same as salvation. Astonishment is not necessarily the same thing as discipleship. Being vaguely pro-Jesus is not the same thing as being a Christian. It is not enough just to be amazed.
1: It is not enough is to be amazed by the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Have you put your
0: faith in him? To really believe in Jesus is not just a yes to his wise sayings or just a yes to his ethical standards. It is not just
1: following him because of his miracles. All these are not helpful unless you also know
0: him, know him, know the teacher himself, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, pray to him for forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins, not just forgiveness of sins in general, but specific personal sins, real sins, that he will hold you to account on, because you have offended the real God. Who makes, who calls the shots concerning your life? Sadly, sinful man can hear a message and remain unchanged. And that's one of the difficulties we face when we preach, whether in this setting or as a a head of a household, as you're teaching children at home, You face that difficulty, you come up to that difficulty where you can preach your heart out and preach and preach and preach for transformation and encounter people who hear and hear and hear intently but not
1: for obedience. There is no obedience that they show. You can imagine what it was for the Son of God who knew the end of every unrepentant
0: sinner to see people who listened, who were pro-Jesus, who would come back to church again, over and over again, but yet whom he knew were not disciples. Are, these people described
1: for us in verse 28 and 29, converted? It does not say the disciples were astonished. The commentary of Matthew here,
0: unlike at the beginning in chapter 5, where it's clearly the disciples who came up to him on the mountain, chapter 5, verse 1, his commentary now here in chapter 7, verse 28, is on the crowds a language that will be used severally in the book of Matthew. We are not told whether the disciples or how the disciples responded. It's likely that they were also astonished.
1: But that's not what Matthew is talking about. He tells us about the crowds. A crowd that was wowed by the truths.
0: But as we look later, and even earlier, and in other Gospels,
1: they were not saved. And we are told in chapter 8, verse 1, seeing the crowds,
0: he went up on the mountains. No, sorry, in chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So this crowd continued to follow him. And they followed him, we know, for miracles. We followed him because of the message. But this same crowd,
1: later on, this same crowd, later on, at the persuasion of the chief priests, would prefer Barabbas to be released and Jesus Christ to be crucified. They had seen it all listened to the sermons,
0: watched the miracles. They had been
1: recipients of the bread and the fish.
0: And yet when they were asked by Pilate, whom shall I release? Barabbas? or this man, Jesus Christ, they said Barabbas. And when they were asked, what then shall I do? Jesus Christ, what did they say? Crucify him. Subject him to the most painful death known to man.
1: They had been there. They had come to church. They had participated in saying, wow, did you hear that? they were astounded the teachings had gripped their eye, had, had
0: had got their attention to the point that they were astonished
1: but that does not necessarily mean they were saved hardly Light of this, and as we come now to the end
0: of this song, in light of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must ask ourselves who is a true disciple? What does it look like to truly follow the Lord Jesus? This crowd was stunned,
1: it was overwhelmed, but they remained lost. we must say in our time today just
0: because you are a sermon hearer does not make you a child of god just because you are with the crowd you are a member of this church does not necessarily make you a child crowds continued to follow jesus he was a great preacher
1: we don't know if they repented we know they were impressed by his teachings. So what's the difference then between conviction and conversion? When the truth of God is being faithfully preached, you will know. You will know that God, not just the preacher, is speaking to you. And so the call upon you would be to repent of your sins
0: and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in him alone, to lean on no other merit on your part or on the part of anyone or anything else for you to be in that place where you can have safe dealings
1: with the thrice holy God. Repentance of your sins and believing in Jesus Christ. Examine
0: yourselves. Let us examine ourselves.
1: Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you just following a religious crowd? You can follow religion. In fact, you can even follow the right religion, like these
0: people did, and not be a Christian. Look up to Jesus.
1: Repent your sins and trust in Him alone for your salvation. So find out where you are in the Sermon on the Mount. Are you in the words of our Lord, one who has
0: entered by the narrow gate that leads to the narrow road that leads to life? Or have you entered by the broad gate, the great, the broad gate, the
1: gate of I'm part of the religious crowd? that leads to the broad road that leads to destruction? Are you sure you are trusting in Jesus
0: Christ alone, his person and his work? Do not trust in
1: yourself. It is so easy to trust in yourself. It is so easy to look at the
0: Lord Jesus Christ and be mesmerized. Even his enemies say, never
1: spake a man like this. And so in the words of Ryle, a religion
0: that costs you nothing but hearing summons will prove at last to be a useless thing. Let us look up to Jesus and not be mere someone hear us. But out of love, out of obedience to the Lord Jesus, let us put our trust in him. Let us be those who are truly converted. At the end of the book of Matthew, we are told about the authority of Christ in Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says all authority, not some authority, not a lot of authority, not most of it, but all of it has been given to him.
1: Every one of us in this room should bow at the name of Jesus. In fact, every
0: one of us will bow at the name of Jesus. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. On this side of eternity, the Lord mercifully grants us an opportunity for us to bow without him breaking our backs. But it is appointed for man to live and to die, and after that, judgment. And on judgment day, every single knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord.
1: A true disciple from Matthew 28 is one who obeys Christ as a disciple. He or she obeys the
0: Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple. He or she joins, secondly, with other disciples. He or she makes other disciples. Simple litmus test. We can look at ourselves and ask the question. Do I obey Christ as a disciple? And the first command He gives you is to believe in Him. Do you obey Him? Do you obey Christ as a disciple? Secondly, do you join up with other disciples? And thirdly, are you making other disciples? Those of us who would say yes to those three questions, in various degrees, we are not perfected would be able to say, but for grace. Apart from the Lord mercifully opening my eyes, I would still be in the crowd that would follow. But my conviction would not have necessarily been conversion. Many of us here would be able to look back and say, before I came to faith, perhaps I listened to close to 200, 2,000 sermons. The Lord has mercifully now saved. But for grace, I would still be in
1: that crowd, astonished, only later on to say, crucify. May the Lord help us to flee to him for salvation, and having
0: turned to him for salvation, to rejoice in his mercies for us. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you Enabling us to go through the Sermon on the Mount. Please help us so that this would not be the last time we look at it. May we be found often with open copies of Scripture before us. We are on our knees before you, praying, reading, and praying through that sermon privately and even as a body corporate. Oh Lord, we pray that we would not be those who on the day of judgment will be found amongst the goats, having had the privilege of hearing such high truths uh, from your word. Oh Lord, we pray that where there's been any chaff that has proceeded from my mouth during this period, as we've looked at this sermon. Kindly blow upon it. Let it not abide in the hearts of your children. And yet, Lord, we pray where there has been any truth that has proceeded in our midst from the preaching of your word, as we've looked at this Psalm, we kindly ask that it would not return to you void, that you'd bless it, and that our hearts would be like good soil and that like good farmers, we would do whatever cooperation we need to do with the seed planted so that it grows and brings forth fruit 30, 60, even 100 fold. O oh Lord, we pray for those in our midst who are not born again. We remember your mercy to us. And we kindly ask, O oh God, Please grant that your banished ones would come into your sheepfold, that they would not linger any longer. Instead, O Lord, even right now, even this very day, that they would call upon your name, that they would repent of their sins, that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ, and that you would give them the gift of eternal life, that you'd give birth to them anew, that you'd give them a heart of flesh in the place of hearts of stone, that where their sins be as red, as crimson, you'd cleanse them, make them as white as snow, declare them righteous, and give them your family name. O Lord, we pray that those of us who are saved would be strengthened that we would be strengthened out of these waters that we have drunk from, that we may continue to pilgrim on, knowing that our day of redemption is now nearer than when we first began. We please pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal life, Comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your heart and establish them in every good work
1: and word. Amen.